Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop, bringing you another edition of our 2021 CFL season deep dive series, talking all things BC Lions today. I've got a great guest here with me to talk through it all, but before we bring him in, I do want to mention we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network, and as always, want to acknowledge that CFC headquarters are located on Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Cree, Oja Cree, Dakota and Dene peoples and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Now let's bring in our guest of honor for the evening. He's the host of the Mark cast and has claimed the BC Lions as America's CFL team. The great Reed Johnson is here. Welcome to the show, Reed. How are you doing this evening? I'm good. I'm excited. I don't get a lot of, it's usually me reaching out to Canadians to go, you know, to come on and go south. So I am excited to, to hop north and, and join and be a part of this tonight. So thank you. Yes, very excited to have you here today. We'll talk through uh, everything from the BC Lions uh, 2021 season, which feels like ages ago at this point. Uh, you know, next off season, if I'm doing a deep dive series, I think I got to rethink things a little bit. So we're not trying in April, uh, you know, one month before the next season begins, trying to wrap this up, but we'll tinker with that next year. But yes, very excited to have you here to talk through it all. Uh, before we get in talking about the Lions season, Always like to start off, though, uh, whenever we have a guest on the podcast, uh, get a little bit uh, of your backstory. How did you first get into football, uh, particularly the CFL? Uh, and uh, what made you choose the BC Lions as your team of choice? Yeah, so well, I'll try to keep this. I mean, this is going to be as long or short as we want to answer. But uh, I I hope I will be a little different than your normal guests. Like you said, on our podcast, we talk CFL, XFL, USFL. Uh, we talk a little fan control football. Uh, we even do ELF, which is the European League of Football. So I, I am very much a mile wide and an inch deep on a lot of this stuff. Uh, even the football seasons, it's like The Bachelor. You watch it <laughs> and you experience it. And then it's like you rinse and repeat and you move on. But uh, this sheet you put together to help us go through is very helpful about that. So thank you. Um, we got into the XFL. Uh, my original co-host, Paul, and I, back when The Rock had purchased the league, we were um, you know, uh, fans of the original XFL, had traveled to the kickoff game, had front row season tickets at uh, mm -hmm. CenturyLink Field, which is now Lumen Field, where the Seahawks play, uh, which would be you know like a $700 ticket or whatever, but was like you know 50 bucks for the XFL. Uh, really lived through all that, got into the XFL podcasting when The Rock bought it because we thought, they're going to kick off in, in February. This was in August, and we were all going to be uh, groovy. Uh, next thing you know, they've delayed, and then they're talking with the CFL, and now you know nothing is happening for at least <laughs> another year now. Uh, for, for the XFL back in 2023 now is when they're coming back. So we needed to have things to talk about in the meantime, and uh, God bless uh, Randy Ambrosi and the XFL Redbird for <laughs> beginning these uh, merger talks, collaboration talks, whatever that was. And that really spearheaded us into the CFL. Mm -hmm. And we got a lot of you know pushback about being dumb Americans and not knowing <laughs> anything about the CFL. And nothing motivates me more than that. And we did, uh, I, we, I was at Grey Cup this year with my wife. We did a live show that had, uh, I consider very good viewership for just us with a key light, you know, at a bar with a, with a webcam. And uh, yeah, now we're, we're all in, uh, all in on the CFL. Awesome. That's, that's great to hear. I love the backstory there. As you mentioned, cover a bunch of 
different leagues on the Mark cast. You uh, had the opportunity to travel to the Grey Cup uh, the, this past year. Uh, what was that experience like? It was really fun. It, we, I really didn't know what to expect, right? We uh, had ruffled, you know, feathers with, with you know, some reporters. And, you know, we, like, we've gotten in fights with the Rosh Madani on the podcast. <laughs> we're, we're friends with other people. And I really didn't know what to expect. We had no idea. My wife and I ended up going, you know, we had to go through all the testing and paperwork. And so, you know, it was a lot of work to go from an American back in December. And I remember walking in and we had to get our uh, PCR test before you could go in. Ambrosi was doing his state of the, um, the league address and uh, we had got credentialed, which thank you, Lucas and everyone for doing that. And we were standing there and I was doing my nasal swab next to Dave Naylor. And I thought, uh, if there's no like more introduction than getting into the CFL mediascape than uh, meeting Dave Naylor for the first time with a Q-tip uh, in his heart <laughs> noses. Uh, but it was fun. We ended up uh, hanging out with the football reporters of Canada. Uh, they have like a private suite there that we did a lot of drinking at. And it was really weird to have seen like literally every single person I talked to the last six months remotely all in one hotel room. Like it was insane, you know, and you walk in and, and it was cool. We were very warmly uh, received. It was very nice. Awesome. Great to hear. Uh, you're here talking about the BC Lions here with me today. Uh, what, what made them the team of choice? Uh, why, why are they your so-called America's CFL team? Yeah, so uh, listeners of our show will know, and uh, we we just had on a, a tease for our Friday episode. We just had on Victor Quee today, president and CEO awesome. of Edmonton, and I told Victor, I said, I am like the Kristen Stewart of the CFL, <laughs> where my heart is torn between Edmonton and uh, the BC Lions, very much like you know Edward and Jacob, if you know the Twilight movies, because Edmonton was our was my initial team. We uh, Paul, like I said, my old co-host, he had picked the Argos because they were with the uh, Toronto, uh, the MLSC of it all, working with the XFL. We thought that was cute, you know, that they were trying to destroy the CFL. And then I liked Edmonton because Dave Campbell, you know, one of their play-by-play -play guys was the first Canadian we ever had on. He mm -hmm. came on our show. And I really liked... Um, you know, some of the, we knew Elizondo because he had been with the XFL and we knew a couple of their OC, a, a lot of, they had a lot of carryover. You had Taylor Cornelius that was on there from the XFL. And I really liked, cause I'm a Washington football team in the NFL. And so I really liked, cause they were going through the rebrand. I like right. a, a team has no name and kind of all that stuff. And then the season kicks off. They uh, dis, uh, besmirched the XFL when the merger talks fell through. They released friend of the show, Derek Dennis, and then they lost to the Red Blacks the first week of the <laughs> season. And so I was, this is, I was sitting there in Hawaii. We were on vacation the second week of the season. And I said, all the Edmonton Elks have done since I've been, you know, fans of them is that, you know, they uh, pissed off Derek Dennis, uh, made fun of the XFL, and then they lost to the Red Blacks. I said, I, I think I need a new team. And uh, Jim Mullen, a friend of the show, you know, he football uh, president, you know, uh, President of Football Canada, uh, he is a big BC fan. And then um, obviously the proximity with Seattle uh, to Vancouver kind of made that um, easy enough. The, the joke on the podcast is I refer to uh, us as America's premier CFL podcast. And so it only made sense that uh, having the BC Lions as our team would be America's CFL team. That's got a really it, got story. it. Uh, interesting, interesting story there right. <laughs> within one season. Uh, switching between the Edmonton Elks and the BC Lions, and uh, hey, you stuck with it. You seem to be stuck with them for now until they until they potentially do something to piss you off. But 
no, my, yeah, my heart, no, my, I, I, yes, BC will always be, I think, the team of the Marcast now. I think uh, Edmonton, they, they will be close rivals. I always have my Edmonton flag flying here, so never far from my heart, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I like BC. We've gotten them really good. We've had a lot of the players on the podcast in the offseason. You know, Matt Baker, the desert, the media relations over there is fantastic. We hung out at the Grey Cup. So there's a lot of really amazing people in that organization, you know, on and off the field. So, right. And uh, definitely, you know, you, you plugged in a bit there. Uh, Victor Cooey on the podcast this coming Friday. Make sure you check that out, everybody. I, I love I love everything about Victor Cooey and uh, what he's done in Edmonton. Uh, let's get into talking about the Lions 2021 season, a uh, season where they finished with a five and nine record fourth place in the West did not qualify for the playoffs. Not a great year for the Lions uh, going back to their previous season, 2020, no season at all due to COVID 2019, a five and 13 record last in the West. So same number of wins, but I guess shorter season, you can say they improved, I guess, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the numbers that way. A uh, number of notable changes between those two seasons. A new head coach, Devon Claybrooks, was out. Rick Campbell came in. Uh, running backs uh, overhauled there. John White, Brandon Rutley out. Shaq Cooper comes in. Deron Carter is gone. Lucky Whitehead comes in at receiver, which uh, and we'll talk a lot about him, I'm sure. Uh, Dominic Rhymes coming in as well. Uh, they brought in one of the biggest fish on the offensive line, which was Riker Matthews, but he only ended up playing one game due to injury. The whole defensive line was turned over. Uh, Sean Lemon, David Menard, Jonathan Newsom, Odell Willis all gone. A couple changes at defensive back. Uh, and uh, lost their uh, their kicker and punters, Sergio Castillo, Josh Martel. Another thing that came up many times throughout the season that we'll get into yet. And uh, Chris Rainey brought back. Uh, that, those are kind of the notable moves uh, within those off seasons. Uh, what were your preseason expectations for the Lions coming into 2021? Well, you know, like I said, you know, we are we are the newfound fans here. But it is funny that yeah, they just had less games to lose in the twenty one season. It's like, well, we can't do as bad as we did in twenty nineteen. You know, I was excited. I mean, like I said, we fell into all this CFL stuff. I you know, I knew the name Michael Riley, right? Like I, I knew that he was just a perennial mainstay MVP or right. I knew uh some of the other, you know, notable names on the team. So I I felt good. I felt, you know, I certainly didn't hop ship trying to go, trying to hop to a losing franchise. Uh, but no, you know, feeling good about it, feeling good about BC. And then we'll get into the games and, and, and when we jumped on. But yeah, yeah, I was excited. Yeah, I think my preseason expectations, I, I, I feel like I had them finishing fourth in the West. Uh, so right where they finished, you know, I, I did like what they changed. I like bringing in Rick Campbell as a head coach. He's great defensive mind there. You know, some of the pieces they brought in the defensive backfield. Um, but uh, I didn't see them quite improve enough over uh, the way some of the other teams improved. So tight log jam in the West had them finishing fourth there, which I think is, is you know, generally what ended up happening. But uh, let, let's get into the season as we do here during this deep dive series. We'll break it up in the beginning, middle and end of the season. And, you know, it's uh, it doesn't split evenly 14 games three ways. Basic math tells me that. So I generally try to go through and figure out, well, which which chunks make the most sense. So I, I figure beginning of the season, let's take a look at the first six weeks, a.k.a. the first five games. because They had a buy in week five starts off with a 33 29 loss to Saskatchewan. Uh, then they come back 15 nine win over Calgary. Then it's back to a loss against Edmonton 21 16 there. 
Then you, uh, around the bye week, you've got two wins over Ottawa, 24-12 and 45-13, where they, uh, they just demolished the, the Red Blacks in those two games. Overall, a 3-2 and two record for the Lions in the first, uh, first five games of the season. Uh, not a bad start to the year. I, w- I would argue that's kind of what you would expect with the matchups they have. Yeah, I mean, they really benefited from a really easy beginning. And even with, you know, when we look at retrospective, right, like that loss to Edmonton, you're like, oh, that's kind of scary. You know, some of the things there, I remember um, the the first game, you know, that was the whole Michael Riley is he playing Nathan Rourke with all. Very exciting because we had just gotten into everything. We've been talking about sports betting and injury reports and all this kind of stuff. And I like that. I like that BC was playing hot and loose with all that, right? I like that they, they kind of did the bait and switch. Uh, Nathan Rourke did okay. You know, became, you know they, were, they were still down. Michael Riley came in, you know, played just insane football that second half, you know, almost took him back. I remember watching that because a lot of these games, CFL is not conducive to my work schedule. I, I'm a wedding videographer. I work a lot of Fridays and Saturdays. So a lot of the games I'm watching either on demand with ESPN plus or like on my phone driving like dangerously. But I remember <laughs> watching the, uh, this game, uh, the, the next day, I can't remember, Saturday, Sunday, whatever the game was on. And it was like the most incredible story in the world. Like if Michael Riley had come back and won that first game, having been, you know, not played the first half, came back. Uh, I I just, I, I knew I was hooked. You know, we hadn't done the full uh, CFL season yet. And that, that first game really did hook me into just kind of the storyline and the craziness that could ensue. Yeah, this was one of the most bizarre games I think I had seen all year. As you mentioned, you know, Riley was set to start coming into the week uh, really right up until coin toss, I think it was. All of a sudden, Nathan Rourke comes in. That might have been his first career CFL start. Maybe he got one the season before. I don't know. I think that was it. Yeah, that was his first start. He comes in. Doesn't look good all first half until he throws a 75-yard touchdown pass, I think it was, to, to Lucky Whitehead at, in the final minute of the first half. Finally builds some momentum. Then all of a sudden, out of halftime, here comes in Riley. And all that momentum from uh, Nathan Rourke is gone. Riley comes in, can barely throw the football, I remember. I, I think he went like nine for nine, but probably none of his passes went more than five yards, and they were flutter balls the whole way. And, and then all of a sudden, Rourke comes back in to finish the game, and you know that's part of the story in this one. The other part of it is, they're down 28 nothing early in this game and all of a sudden come back and lose 33-29 despite the constant rotation here. Well, I'm remembering too because, yeah, like Riley couldn't throw and like they kept having to like drop back to catch it because like he literally couldn't, like he couldn't get the distance on it. But there was like, it almost created more separation. Like it almost benefited them because the players were playing, like the, the defenders were like overextending and then they were able to drop back and get these passes. Cause yeah, he was just chucking it like a, you know, granite brick or whatever down the field trying to connect. I don't know. It was crazy. It, it's just, I think this is fun going back through this because you kind of forget all this in the, in the retrospect. So. Yeah, so that, I mean, bizarre way to start the season. I, I don't really know what to expect coming out of that week one. Is it the team that was down 28 nothing, or the one that clawed back and almost came back with the win? A lot of talk was on Michael Riley's arm coming into the next week against Calgary, and, uh, well, that was quickly squashed because uh, Riley comes out, throws almost 80% passing, 342 yards, doesn't put up any touchdowns, though, productive day, yardage wise but they pick up a 15-9 win 
big play of the defense was really the story here. And I think is one of the major uh, storylines from these first five games of the year is the defense was fantastic. Like talk about the 2021 season, talk about defenses. Everybody's talking about Winnipeg. Uh, the Bombers, you know, nearly set records on defense. But early on in this season, the Lions' defense looked pretty stellar in their own right. I mean, they averaged those first five games, 17.6 points against per game, 25.84. Like, you're going to win more often than not when you're uh, allowing under 20 points per game. I, I, this is a good time. I'm going to drop my funny story. I forgot to tell this at the beginning. Uh, so uh, defensive uh, defensive backs coach, and now I believe he's defensive coordinator like in under Rick Riley, right? Ryan Phillips. Um, he is a former groom of mine. I shot his oh. wedding back in, must have been 2017. They got married on New Year's Eve at the Four Seasons downtown. It was a very, I mean, it was a really nice wedding. And I remember them saying, like, oh, this guy, because I, I knew nothing about sports, right? Like, I really just did this deep dive here with the XFL and everything. And they're like, oh, this guy's like a big football player up in Canada. Da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, like, whatever. I don't, <laughs> I don't know any of this stuff. And then I remember, because I hadn't put two and two together, and I was watching, when I was watching the BC Lions games, I was like, Holy God, like that's, I know Ryan, like I, I, I was with him getting ready in his hotel room. Like I know, Wow. And so the connections go deep. So let no one tell you that this is fair weather. Um, the Calgary thing in retrospect, again, like this is Bo Levi on like a broken ankle, right? I mean, this is, this looked like a really good win at the time. I remember we were watching this in Hawaii. I pulled it up on my iPad I was watching. And like, I was thrilled because BC and I had just gone all in on them. They, you know, they beat Bo Levi, we win the game. Uh, but again, in retrospect, that wasn't like the full Calgary team that they were, they were playing. Yeah. I, I forget when Mitchell got injured. I think it might've been late in this game or, or early in the game after, but I mean, he wasn't healthy. He hasn't been healthy, fully healthy in years. Uh, I would say. Uh, yeah, defense picks them off four times in this game. They were turnover machines early on in the season. They held teams, uh, you know, outside of that week one loss to Saskatchewan. Uh, they held everybody under 20 points uh, here early in this season. They really stepped up big time uh, starting in that game there. Uh, you know, one of the one of the major storylines in this one also was uh, I mentioned, you know, new guys at kicker. Uh, coming into this season and uh, I, I can't remember if it was a bit of a surprise or not coming out of training camp but uh, Takeru Yamasaki uh, the global player Japanese born player gets the start at kicker this season week one goes two for four uh, not not a shining shining start to the season necessarily but to his credit will forever be in the history books first said Japanese born player to uh, score points in a CFL game um, end up going two for four again in week number two here, uh, gets released replaced by Jimmy Kamako, uh, coming out of that week. And, uh, well, the experiment ends there after two weeks, but it was a fun storyline to follow while he was there. Yeah. The global, global initiative paying off <laughs> big, <laughs> big high marks. Well, no, I mean, cause it was, uh, BC would have won the first game if they had kicked those extra points or whatever. I mean, it's, you know, it's. All, all this kicking matters. I mean, we get into if they get to football where they they've eliminated the kicker position entirely. Oh wow! Yeah, it's like uh, kicking kicking very much, especially in arena football. Kicking is a huge aspect of arena ball. But yeah, kicking matters. And uh, yeah, uh, it was sad to see Sergio uh, go. I, he was just on our show last week. Former, he played in the XFL as well. He's he's been around the block many times. So 
Yeah, and uh, I think this was a point that uh, a lot of teams struggled throughout the season as well. And a lot of teams were not good at the kicker position this season, and uh, it just so happened that BC had some early struggles, but Jimmy Camacho comes in, uh, played fairly well for a number of weeks, uh, kind of took a deep dive uh, late in the season. We'll get into that uh, later on yet. Uh, But then uh, week three, uh, a tight game with Edmonton, a 21-16 loss there once again, offense coming out flat and kind of you know bizarre we go from k is riley healthy enough to play to he lights up the stampeders defense and then uh only 128 yards passing against the elks here uh too often early in the season it kind of seemed like uh, bc could maybe get things going offensively but just couldn't finish yeah, this was bad. This was right after they had announced Amar Demond was coming in. They were going to have the new ownership. There was the big home opener. He was there doing all the media stuff. Uh, we had done, like, I think we did a live show before the home opener just on, on you know, YouTube, not there. But, like, you know, it was a big deal. It was the Lions, whatever. And, uh, yeah, very disappointing. And to see how Edmonton ended up, like, scary that, again, this all painted the picture for how BC was going finish, to finish the season. Yeah, and then they bounce back nicely with uh, two straight wins over the Ottawa Red Blacks, which, I mean, promising results, and you, you got to be feeling okay coming out of that first five games, three and two, but it's kind of hard to gauge knowing the games that were against Ottawa. You know, Ottawa had had a rough start to the year, rough middle of the year, rough end of the year, um, besides playing Edmonton, uh, but uh, really hard to gauge to write those games when you're facing a team like that. Yeah. I mean, Ottawa had done absolutely nothing that, that far. And yeah, to have two of your wins that way. And like I said, the, the Calgary week two was not what they ended up being. I mean, it was, I, I really think this was like three paper wins that don't really, I mean, this might as well have been five losses. Like this really wasn't that, that outstanding. I was feeling good though. I was feeling very bullish on the three and two going into the, well, especially the two and two going into the buy, I was feeling good. And then yeah, three and two. Yeah. And that, that week six one that we end off the beginning of the season with 45, 13 over Ottawa. I mean, Michael Riley, four touchdown passes in that game. Uh, it seemed like a very up and down start to the year for him. Maybe still trying to get healthy from that arm injury in week one, where sometimes he seemed like he was on his game, sometimes not. I mean, let's be real. Throughout his entire career, I wouldn't be surprised if Riley was injured, but still played the way he did anyways. Uh, you know, this, this is a guy that uh, has always been out on the field, you know, a gritty player will run for first downs, even when he's hobbling off the sidelines. Uh, and he comes out there and he plays a lot early in the season. And one thing I remember from this game, like this was a blowout, the week six game over Ottawa. And, and I'm pretty sure Riley stayed in the game despite his four touchdown passes until two minutes left in the game. I think Rourke finally got uh, a chance to go in there. To me, I would have liked to see more pulling of, of Riley earlier in both games. They they blew other teams out and games they were blown out themselves. And especially looking at it now, knowing he's retired, knowing Nathan Rourke's going to be the starter coming into this season, I, you know, you think maybe there could have been more opportunities to develop him a little more there. Do you agree? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. That was the one that was at home, right? And I remember that, that they were sitting there because he was he was trying to break his touchdown record, I think. Or he was trying to – and I just remember even – I think Farhan was on the call because I remember watching the game and I was like – it was Farhan and I think it was Dunnigan. 
and like BC was up and I'm like, this is the greatest night of my life. Like I'm like, <laughs> Farhan on the call, BC's rolling. And even they were like, why aren't you pulling Riley here? Why are you going for this? There's no point. But I think he was trying to, I think he was trying to break his single game touchdown record. If I, if I recall the, the commentary correctly. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Sounds like, a, you know, maybe a bit of a stubborn uh, Michael Riley not wanting to come out of the game there. As we get in the middle chunk of the season, uh, we look at the next uh, five games here, and it starts off with a 27-18 win over Montreal. Okay, nice start. Four and two, I think, at this point on the season. And this is where things start spiraling downwards. A 31-24 loss to Saskatchewan, a 30-9 loss to Winnipeg, bye week there in the middle, 39-10 loss to Calgary, and then we end off this section with the goose egg, the 45-0 loss to Winnipeg. Uh, 1-4 record here puts them at 4-6 on the season. You know, this is really where things went south and they continued south a little ways after that too. But uh, I mean, you, you compare the first start, first couple games of the season, offense is rolling with almost 26 points a game. Now in this middle chunk, they're at 14 points per game. You're not going to win football games when you score 14 points and you're most no, definitely not going to win when you average 14 points and you're giving up 32.6. Yeah, no, week seven is peak. This is peak Reed BC for the for the season because they were gonna go into Montreal. Everyone had talked about the long travel schedule, right? Like that's the worst you could do is BC going into Montreal and the time zones and all that stuff. I made a bet with the Alouettes Flight Deck podcast. I said you have to change your logo to the BC Lions. And they came in and won. I was filming a wedding this day. I watched the wedding on my phone during the uh, cocktail hour that we were filming. Very, very high. This was peak. And then we can talk the downfall. This is like, um, you ever see Requiem for a Dream? This was like summer, right? They had the summer section and then like fall. Then they all, you ever see that movie? No, I have not. No, I don't watch, I don't watch a lot of movies, you know? It's like they're all on heroin and stuff. And so like, but like in, in summer, they're everyone's having fun and they're all cruising or whatever. And then it's going into fall and the downfall. Yeah, we can talk the week eight, but no, week seven was very exciting going in and slapping Montreal around at home. That was good. Yeah, uh, big plays in this game. Lucky Whitehead, six targets, six catches, 133 yards, 75-yard touchdown. The next week he had two touchdowns over 100 yards. This to me was probably the pickup of the off season across the league. Like lucky whitehead came in, was mostly a return man, a little bit involved on offense in Winnipeg. DC really brought him in and said, just run down the field. We'll throw you the ball. Yeah. Lucky's great. They paid him up in the off season, get him to come back, you know, Brian Burnham too. Like it's, I, he, Lucky Whitehead is everything that the CFL needs because he's someone that delivers on and off the field, right? Because you need personable people that can sell the league. You know, he comes out, he's got the spinny cap, he's got the tricycle, he's got all this kind of stuff. But then he also can deliver, right? You don't want like the Juju Schuster, like I'm doing the TikTok videos and then I'm getting tackled and fumbling the ball, right? Like you want, it's good. I'm really high and lucky. And and obviously his injury later, I think exacerbated the issues that BC was having anyway. Uh, But yeah, yeah, this was a good, good stretch for him. And I, I think really you mentioned the injury, like uh, he finished the season fourth in receiving yards, 932. Uh, it's about 70 ish, 80 ish yards behind Kenny Waller. I, I think he plays those extra two games. There's no question. Lucky Whitehead's the leading receiver in the CFL, a very fine season, very well worth 
the payday for him. And it, it seemed like, you know, uh, that, that's something I've noticed this whole time in BC. Michael Riley just loves trying to force the deep ball downfield. And this was the perfect target for him to do so. Uh, uh, so much fun watching Lucky Whitehead all season. A shame he did get injured there. So solid all-around win over the Alouettes. The defense held Vernon Adams Jr. to less than 50% passing, which is uh, an incredible effort there. And, you know, I, I hyped up the defense in that first section of the season, but Drake coming out of this week is where it started to all go downhill there for the defense. Yeah, this the Saskatchewan game, this was... Uh, I think game of the season thus far to that point, I think if, if anyone had had, I think that was like the, the late game on the Friday night, um, watching that game and then, and then the comebacks and it was the lead changes. Cause you know, so much had been made of the season of like, okay, we're getting ready. We're going to just like shoot out of a cannon here after COVID. And it really was a slow start. I mean, some of the games were kind of a drag, you know, after that, the week one was like decent. Uh, but this was like true CFL football. You know, it was uh, at home. Um, you know, Cody was playing up. Michael was playing up. It was very exciting. Yeah, there was uh, there was a lot of back and forth. The Lions looked to be in a position here, but then uh, last minute comeback, uh, Cody Fajardo touchdown run, 20 seconds left in the game. They go up, I think, by one. And then I think Lucky Whitehead fumbled the, the ensuing kickoff with two seconds left. Uh, so it makes it a seven-point win for the Riders there. But uh the, definitely a heartbreaking late game loss. And, you know, sometimes those happen a lot in the CFL with uh, how many lead changes you get in the final minutes of the games. But uh, sometimes they, they seem like they, they could just kind of break a team. And, uh, and the, the schedule coming up after these games certainly didn't help. Facing Winnipeg twice, Calgary, who was starting to get back on a roll, really didn't help here. But uh, this is definitely one of those games, uh, looking back on it, you wish you could have had. Well, yeah, special teams here because they missed the field goal, they muffed a punt, and then they then Lucky White had fumbled. But they had that one punt that only like they they um, whatever ricocheted out of bounds, like it you know squib not squib kick, but you know where they muffed the whatever the mm -hmm. saying is. But like that was it was special teams failed them, and it's like it's the way momentum goes, right? Like they on Good Morning Football today, I was watching, they were talking because it's March Madness, they're talking like, um, you know, buzzer beating finishes. And they, I'm a Seahawks fan, right? And the Seahawks, when they lost that second Super Bowl and like momentum changers, right? Like had the Seahawks won that Super Bowl and then like they're able, like, because the team fell apart after that. Like it was never the same. Richard Sherman hated Pete Carroll and all this stuff. Uh, like I think if BC beats Saskatchewan here, like I just feel like momentum is more on their side. I think that it was such a heartbreaking loss coupled with the fact that they were facing Winnipeg the next week that was just unstoppable. Like, I just think it was so much, and that was this is where they lost the season. I mean, I, they were never able to recover after that. Yeah, this is the first of, I think it was seven straight losses on, on the season to come out of this. And, you know, one of the big discussion topics around the Lions this year was the lack of run game. Uh, I don't think I've seen a CFL team just ignore the run game as much as I did with BC in this game. Uh, James Butler, Shaq Cooper combined five carries for five yards in the next game against Winnipeg, a combined four carries for two yards. I think Shaq Cooper, who going back to preseason was one of the players I was most excited to see coming into this year. He had some good time in Edmonton in a backup role there uh, a couple of years before I, I thought getting a starting role. I, I had him pegged as one of the top running backs in the league this year. And, uh, 
really just did not work out. In fact, I think he had negative yardage two straight games here, which you do not expect from your starting or 1A, 1B running back. Uh, did it surprise you how little they, they ran the ball? It's weird. I mean, you have to be an exceptional running back in the CFL, just the way the downs and everything works. I mean, we, you know, where I, we cover USFL and actually all these four down, three down, but like to be an effective running back, you have to be able to get yardage. And when you're, you, when it's so poor performing, yeah, like you said, BC just basically just gave up and was like, we're not, you know, and so then when you get to the point where, like, when when the Blucky Whitehead eventually gets injured, you're like, okay, well, you don't have a receiver because you're not using anyone else. You don't have a running game. Like, I don't know how you're going to score anymore. And they really did get – I mean, we, we saw them with Winnipeg, 45-0. Like, they just lost – they ran out of, like, options to score the ball and move the ball down the field. Yeah, they, they, they have this uh, tough loss to Saskatchewan, the heartbreaker there. Then they go up against Winnipeg uh, at home here, uh, hosting the Bombers, and uh, the defense just fell apart in this one. Zach Clare was 400 yards passing. I think that's the only time all year he was over 300. Uh, Kenny Waller, big 200-yard game there. Uh, certainly didn't help losing Lucky Whitehead, I think, on his first offensive play of that game to a, to a broken hand. Now, oddly enough, he ends up coming back into the game in the second half to finish the game as basically just a decoy receiver. I don't know if I've ever seen that. I don't quite remember what the purpose of it was. Uh, do you? Well, it was to draw attention. Like, okay, maybe we're, they're going to throw him the ball. Like it was. It was just, but you knew, like you knew, you saw it, like <laughs> break his hand. Like you saw. I knew in this game we were. I started watching this game. We were at uh, our good friend's rehearsal dinner, and so I was watching on my phone, sitting there at the table. And when BC didn't score on their first drive. And I was like, this is it. This is the game. Because Winnipeg's defense was lights out. And I'm like, if they can't, you know, you got to go up at the beginning or you, you, you can't fall behind and then ever get back. Like, I'm a Kraken fan. Different sport. But, like, it's just, if Kraken go down, like, they're never going to come back up. They just don't have the weapons this year, right? I mean, it's the expansion and all that. Yeah. But, like, we don't have enough tools to score. If you're down two goals, like, it's not happening. And it's the same with BC. When they got stuffed, I just knew this is – not going to be a good game. Yeah, most bizarre thing to, uh, yeah, guy with a clearly broken hand. I don't think you need to go double cover Lucky Whitehead. What is he going to do? Run down the field, catch the ball with his feet? Honestly, with him, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. But uh, tough loss here to Winnipeg. I mean, we won't dwell too long, really, on the next two games. A 39-10 loss to Calgary, 45 nothing to Winnipeg. Uh, both the opposing teams scoring on offense, defense, and special teams uh all around beatdowns in both of these games yeah so the this week 11 this is when we were going to go up they were at home and we were going to do because i had that saturday off we were going to go up and we were going to mm -hmm. go see the game and so in america you know if you you know if you had your vaccine card you can go anywhere that you want and do whatever you want and so we didn't go through all the proper stuff to go up at, we you needed to have a test and the card mm -hmm. right you need to have everything so we got we got deported at the border, which ended up being when we went up to Hamilton for the Grey Cup. We actually got like detained into the room because they're like, "Why did you get like Why did you get held at the border before?" But we ended up driving back the next day. We stayed 
up north hoping that we would get our test results back. We ended up watching this game from my mom's living room and they got beat. It was such a horrendous game for the Lions. I'm like, I'm so mad. Like I was like, I feel like I put in more work this weekend trying to get to this stupid game and back than they did because it was so horrendous. You know, the 39-10. I mean, that was garbage 10 points too. I mean, this game was never closed. BC, the the stadium was empty. I mean, this was this was really rough for the for the Lions here kind of in their uh their losing uh trend. Yeah, and then uh, we round out the middle of the season, 45 nothing to Winnipeg. A shut, shut out for the first time since 1970. I was at that game here in Winnipeg, and uh, the whole the whole time just uh, sitting there watching like, okay, surely they're going to score a point here at some point. I remember they, they attempted a field goal. I think it was like a 46-yard field goal that might have hit the post or uh, went slightly wide and, and, you know, just couldn't muster up a point there. I mean – this was they, they weren't officially eliminated for the playoffs for another couple of weeks here but this this felt like rock bottom coming out of out, out of the middle chunk of the season here uh a not looking good going into the final stretch of the year as we look at those final four games you've got a uh, 31-29 overtime loss to the Toronto Argonauts another crazy game there uh, 26-18 loss in Hamilton, and then uh, 33-23 uh, loss at home to Calgary. And then a little fun end to the season, at least, with a 43-10 win over an exhausted Edmonton Elks team. Uh, so a 1-3 record to finish the year, 5-9 uh, and nine on the season. Uh, not a great uh, final stretch of the season either. Yeah, this the the Toronto game was the really kind of the last straw. You know, where we we were missing the extra right, we were missing the field goal, and then we got got the rouge or whatever. They got back. I I was working this day. I was keeping up with it on my phone, and then I I turned it on in the overtime and all of that. You knew that like. Mike Riley was never going to get that two point conversion at the end. Like you just, you're like, this is never going to happen. Like it's never, it just, it, it was everything that kind of came to a head. You know, they lost to the Argos who was building up a lot of steam at that point. Right. Cause you know, Argos kind of started the season. They were kind of iffy too. Uh, but yeah, that the weird overtime and getting rid of Jimmy Camacho and all that stuff. This was, yeah, this was a mess. Yeah, this was uh, a crazy finish. Uh, uh, poor clock management by Toronto. I mean, Jimmy Camacho misses three field goals in the final six minutes of the game, including two 37-yarders. Uh, ends up getting released after this game, replaced by Nick Fogel the next week. Or I don't know if he was released, but he was replaced in the starting lineup at least. Um, you know, they, they kick the field goal, they miss it, they get the single, go up by one point. Then I think... Toronto pulls back even I forget the exact logistics yeah, was, but I remember it being Toronto had the easiest chance to go and run out the clock here out, up by one point they blow the clock management BC gets another chance 37 yard field goal to win the game nope this one goes wide for the single we're going to overtime uh fun overtime as well the teams trade touchdowns the Lions can't get the two-point convert now you cover a bunch of different football leagues that have uh, presumably a bunch of different overtime rules. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the CFL handles this? Do you like the CFL's approach? I I don't like. No, I don't. And it's not just hmm. a CFL thing. I don't like. 
I don't like the the new USFL is doing the shootout like from I think it's from the two. The XFL did the one from the five. Uh, you know they they did the best of five. The, the USFL is doing the best of three. I prefer the NFL where it's we play another quarter of the football that you know and recognize. I don't. I, they've changed it now, right? Just in the last week, where in in playoff overtime, both teams are going to get possession because. Before this year, if you got uh, a touchdown and they didn't stop you, you won the game. I like that because I like, we played this one game for four quarters. We're going to continue playing mm-hmm. this game for another, even if it's a shorter quarter. I don't like, we've been playing this game for four quarters. Now we're doing the shoot that. Like, it's not, it, it, it feels weird. I mean, the hockey thing's weird too, I guess. I, I don't love the shootout. I love, even hockey, the three-on-three overtime, I think is a little bit more palatable than the shootout. Uh, I don't, I don't love it. And I don't love the CFL, but at the Grey cup, it was cool. Cause it's like they won in the overtime and that was what the CFL stands for and all that kind of stuff. So it's cool when it works, but you just knew the BC was never going to, never going to win this. Yeah. That, that's, that's a very fair take. Uh, I like the comparison to the NHL, you know, playoffs in the NHL, everybody's loving the, the long overtimes there. Right. Uh, and a lot of complaints about the shootout during the season. Uh, as well as a way to end the game. I, I like the CFL overtime rules. I just wish they moved the, the start of the ball. They moved the ball back maybe a little bit further because you start off in field goal range pretty much. You know, you get nothing going. Okay, kick a field goal. Maybe start back at the 50-yard line. Maybe start on your own end of the field. Brings it a little more to a, to a regular game there um, as well. But, yeah, tough overtime loss in this one. Uh, many chances to win, but the, the Lions can't get it done there. Uh, then they, uh, they go into Hamilton, a 2016, 18 loss to the tie cats. Uh, most notably lucky whitehead returns to the lineup from his injury here. Uh, doesn't miss a beat at all. Almost hundred yards, nine catches, 13 targets. Uh, the fact that a broken hand, he was able to come back, what, two to four weeks, somewhere two to four weeks later from that and, uh, perform like this, uh, just shows how talented the guy is. Uh, nothing else to me, really notable standing out from that game against the Ticats. I don't know if you have anything uh, you recall from that one. The only sad thing about this was they stayed out there for both games. Like they stayed out and I'm like, I just couldn't imagine like you're already on the losing streak. You lose to the Argos in overtime. Then you got to hang out there for another week, get ready for the next game. I think it was a short week, but uh, I, you know, that's just miserable player conditions, right? At that point, like you just can't, it's impossible to build morale. <laughs> like we're already losing right here on the road. Like this sucks. So. And then uh, the last loss of the season, 33-23 to Calgary in week number 15, officially eliminated from the playoffs at this point. Uh, But despite the loss, I think there were some bright spots in here. A couple of guys that I'm excited to see uh, how they perform this upcoming season. Uh, We talked a lot about the running back situation. You know, Shaq Cooper ended up getting released earlier on. They turned it over to James Butler. And uh, as the season went on, I remember crunching the fantasy stats at least. And uh, he was one of the top fantasy running backs uh, involved in the running game, passing game, uh, 18 touches, 125 yards there for him. Uh, that's the kind of guy that, you know, especially you've got a young quarterback coming into next year with Nathan Rourke. Like you, you want to have more of a balance of the run game and a guy like James Butler now, right? 
Yeah. Uh, no, Butler's, yeah, this is the only game of the Lions calendar that is complete. And I, my brain cortex never recorded any memory of this one. I remember the Edmonton game, but this one, I don't know what was going on. Week 15, Reed was MIA for this loss. I think I was just very checked out at that point. I think I was very much just off, off BC at that point. I mean, seven game losing streak. I don't blame you. Uh, yeah, James Butler did have a good game. Dominic Rimes also had 111 yards in that game, which he was a guy, you know, brought in in the off season i expected big things from a thousand yard receiver uh i think it was with ottawa back in 2019 struggled early in the season went down due to injury but in the final couple of games of the year uh some big play from dominic rhymes as well so uh could be you know not the result you want in that game but maybe some promising things from two guys who i believe are under contract coming into this year and uh you can build things around uh there with those then we get in the final game of the season, the 43-10 win over Edmonton. The Elks playing their third game in seven days, uh, basically showing up and getting their paychecks and going home. And uh, the perfect opportunity for the Lions to end the season uh, on, on a good note at home as well. A fun end to the season there. And uh, the big talk in this one, Nathan Rourke getting the start. Uh, almost 70% completion percentage, 359 yards, a combined four touchdowns, three on the ground, uh, had the second highest single game fantasy total among all players all season long in this game. Uh, certainly had to be uh, good to see young Nathan Rourke uh, stepping up with a big game in this one. Yeah, I mean, you kind of had to assume Michael Riley wasn't long for the world. I mean, we didn't know at this point that he was going to retire, but... He- just he had been so beat up all season and just even coming in like it just never felt like he was right the whole season and it was good to see nathan because i don't think michael played at all right i think it was work the whole time and it it was good to see him kind of get that what better way to use i mean shoot i would have played him some of the other games if you're like we've already like we're out of playoff contention like let's at least get the kids some you know actual game reps i mean Everyone said, like, he looks good. And I'm sure we'll talk about it afterward. But, you know, everyone says, like, he looks good in practice, all this stuff. But, like, let's give him some more game rep. But, no, it was good to see, you know, Elks were the laughing stock of the season. You know, let's kick them while they're down. They're on the road. <laughs> they're all this. Yeah, seven, <laughs> three games in seven days. It was it was good to see. It was a good victory lap. Yeah, quite, quite the performance from Rourke and uh, quite the performance from the defense as well. Five interceptions. Uh, felt like. The season kind of came full circle here in the final week. Uh, We went back to this is the kind of play we saw from them early in the season. Overall, it's a a five and nine record on the year, fourth in the West. Uh, Overall thoughts to sum up the season. Yeah, it was, I, you know, you really lost hope at that point. I'm used to, right? I mean, the Seahawks are, are, are usually pretty, pretty horrendous. Uh, Washington as well. BC, I'm, I'm kind of used to that. It's easier for me, like, especially when I podcast about it to not be like an annoying, like if I was a Winnipeg podcaster, right? Like, what do you do, right? You, I mean, you love life every week and you just don't care. So hey, we we had many years of yeah, darkness no, I, here. That's I, you want to talk about fans that love life every year. Go to Calgary. This uh, is true. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you felt bright spots at the end, like you said with Rourke. I mean, it was such a weird season anyway. Twenty, you know, coming off of COVID and you know dealing with all the weird stuff. Uh, you know, sometimes you just need to move on, but it was certainly the fall from grace. But like I said, you looking back, you could see all of this coming with the wins that they had and, and piecing together even the five wins they had, had was not that impressive. 
Yeah, it was interesting to look back on it here uh, at, throughout all of the games because, uh, you know, five and nine record, yeah, not a great record on the year. I didn't think the Lions season was that bad. Certainly didn't lump them in with, uh, with Edmonton and Ottawa uh, necessarily. But then you look back at, you know, at that losing streak there in the middle. I, I, at times, I think, you know, they were uh, at that same level there. So not a great year, but you look ahead to 2022, new season coming very shortly now at this point, you know, two months away from, from the regular season kicking off. And uh, things are going to look a little different for the Lions coming into this year. Michael Riley has retired. Fantastic career for him. Wish him all the best in his retirement, of course. And uh, the Lions going with a bold new strategy of spending as little as you possibly can at quarterback as they go with two Canadians for the first time in as long as I can remember in, in league history, Nathan Rourke, Michael O'Connor. Uh, what do you make of this strategy? Uh, and uh, do you wish they maybe went to uh, pick up a veteran in free agency, or do you like the idea of going with these, these two young kid, Canadian kids? I love it all around. I mean, it's the, it's the Tom Brady thing, right? Like I'm going to take, le- I mean, Nathan Rourke is far less money, but it's like, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to take less money we, we can build a stronger team, right? I mean, Riley had a ton of money tied up in him, right? Uh, Washington last year, we had Taylor Heineke that was on like a $2 million contract right now. We've got Carson Wentz, and I want to just hey, you know, bang my face against the wall. Because, you know, I mean, it, it's he's I think he's got $28 million, right? I'm like, that's that, that's a lot more money that you have tied. You know, it's 14 times more money than you have tied up in him than you did the other quarterback. I like this. Everyone is high on Nathan. He's been on our show. He's great. Jim Mullen that's seen every down of Canadian football for the last 40 years is high on Nathan Rourke. All the players are high on him. Lucky Whitehead's big on him. Like everyone that you talk to, Neil McAvoy, the uh, director of player personnel over there, like everyone is really, really confident in him. And I just think if you can do this fluky year where we can pay him like the base, like we're not paying him any money at all. And you can get these guys who you wouldn't be able to sign. I, I think it's great. I, I I'm a fan of that. I'm not a fan of overpaying for quarterback and then having to sacrifice a lot of pieces around it. Now, like they haven't done anything with the O-line, which was like kind of one of their complaints. You know, so you could use some of that money other places, but I like that. I like having the undervalued quarterback, Cause like, you'll never get this again. Cause if Rourke does well, then you're going to have to pay him. And if it doesn't work, like, I don't know. I mean, do they get rid of Rick Campbell and stuff? Like maybe, maybe it's that big of a gamble. I don't know, but I think it's certainly worth having in this weird situation that you have that you're able to. Yeah. And I sound like a broken record at this point saying this on the podcast, but I, I love this so much because I think this is either going to, the Lions are going to win the gray cup this season or they're finishing last in the league. I don't think there's an in-between necessarily and uh, it's going to be gloriously fun to watch either way however that shakes out because uh you know especially if they do well i wonder how this shapes things for free agency landscapes going forward will other teams try this strategy going forward uh it's certainly an unconventional one quarterbacks normally the highest paid position on the field but uh you know they they go a little cheaper at quarterback and they start surrounding them with pieces. I mean, I didn't necessarily think they'd be able to keep both Lucky Whitehead and Brian Burnham, but they managed to keep both of them, which is huge. And, you know, at pretty decent prices, once you look at some of the other prices receivers went for around the CFL to be able to get both of those guys. Uh, and I think Whitehead came in at 200000 Burnham might have been around that, maybe slightly less, I want to say. Um, but, 
you know, two of the top receivers in the game walked up there. As I mentioned, Dominic Rimes showed some promising things. Javon Katoy at times, like that's a solid crew for him to throw the ball to this season. If the offensive line can keep him upright, as you mentioned, which is the concern they lost Hunter Stewart, didn't really replace him with anything. Hey, this might work out. Well, and I just, I'm sitting here doing the, like the, the list in my head here, like, if not Rourke, then who, right? I mean, like, I love McLeod Bethel-Thompson, but is he a demonstrably better quarterback than Nathan Rourke? Like, I don't think so. Jeremiah Mazzoli isn't worth $400,000, right? Trevor Harris, I would not take over. I would I would rather take the unknown of Rourke than the known with uh, with Harris. I don't think Harris is suddenly going to come in and light the world on fire now. I mean, Cody, you know, he played good this year, kind of down the stretch, but he was hit or miss. I mean, Bo is on the way out. You got Jake Mayer there. I think they're in, in a very similar situation in Calgary. If they can transition to Mayer in the right way, where you could do the same thing. And you could say, we got this cheap rookie. We're going to build around mm-hmm. him. But who else do you have? Like even Vernon. I love Vernon Adams, but I don't think he is that consistent of someone that I would worry about every week. Like I think in the CFL, you know, we just saw with the USFL draft, right? They got Shea Patterson. That was someone that he had floated around like BC. And I think he was on the uh, Alouette's practice squad for a while. Uh, Paxton Lynch, right? Didn't work out in, in Saskatchewan. So like, if you're not going to be able to pay, like if, if, if you're not going to pay like a Michael Riley, you're not going to have like $700,000 to pay Michael Riley. Like I would pay way less to have someone that I can do a lot more stuff with than pay like middle of the road and then be saddled with someone that's like, well, they're not great, but they're not bad. But now we just have so much money tied up in them. Like the salary cap is just so low in the CFL. I just like Mazzoli, we have with $400,000 tied up in him. Like, okay, I guess we're going to ride with that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you know, that's that's actually a, an interesting point I hadn't considered here as well. Like he, the free agency pool at quarterback was pretty thin. Like Trevor Harris was the big option available we, after we knew Mazzoli was going to Ottawa type of thing. I, I wouldn't have mind, I, I wouldn't necessarily mind seeing BC have brought in a guy like a Trevor Harris, a Matt Nichols, even in a backup kind of more advisor role for Nathan Rourke. But I also do like the idea like you said, of going as cheap as possible. If you're going to go cheap, you might as well go as cheap as possible and uh, go with some young guys. And as you mentioned, going through the lists there, this does seem kind of like almost like a changing of the guard at quarterback in the CFL. Like Michael Riley's out now, Bo Levi Mitchell, a couple seasons left in him, maybe, you know, Matt Nichols doesn't, uh, isn't under contract anywhere right now. Like all of these guys, Trevor Harris, you know, not really in a starting role type of thing. Zach Caleros still still performing very well, but uh, it seems, you know, across the board, a lot of the quarterbacks you mentioned earlier are guys kind of still trying to prove themselves as the next biggest name at quarterback. And uh, well, Nathan Rourke now gets a chance to be another one of that uh, that crew looking to achieve that. Yeah, I mean, you know, give it a couple of years, right? But I mean, even like Arbuckle, like if I, I'm not going backflips over Edmonton with that, right? I mean, you pay Kenny Lawler, you know, you have the highest flash receiver paid in the league and you're like, Okay, like Arbuckle's driving their Lamborghini down the road. Like, I don't really know how I feel about that. I I, I don't mind it. I'm so used to watching, like, the, you know, these XFL guys. Like, they're not getting paid anything. They're working harder. Like, the NFL guys get paid so much money. Like, I think you got to go the other way. And, you know, spread your money out. There's not enough money in the CFL to get everyone. And I, I, I like it. And I like giving these guys a couple years to mature. Yeah, and spending that money elsewhere, I think they did a great job of that. Didn't touch the offensive line, unfortunately, but everything else they did, I love. 
defensively, I mentioned right at the start, you know, they overhauled everything between 2019, 2021. Didn't really work out for a lot of the season, but uh, defensive line, Steven Richardson, David Bernard, Matthew Betts, Woody Barron, that's a heck of a defensive line they brought in. Defensive back, Luchas Purifoy, Delvin Bro, Kevin Francis, huge additions in defensive backfield there as well. They shore up the kicking game. They went through three kickers this season. Now they bring in Sean White, who's been one of the most consistent kickers in the league for the past who knows how many years. Um, And then I guess the one other spot, I think maybe they took a bit of a step back. Uh, The Canadian talent at wide receiver, Lamar Durant, Shaq Johnson, both out. But they do bring in Daniel Peterman, who had some good games last season uh, when he got an opportunity with Ottawa. So Overall, I would say a pretty well-improved Lions team this offseason, but kind of one of those teams where I don't know where I'm going to slot them in in my preseason predictions because of the unknown at quarterback. And really all the focus storylines early in the season is going to be on that. Uh, where, where do you, what do you see from what, uh, what they've done this offseason kind of going into this coming year? Uh, how do you feel about the team? I mean, I just like making moves, right? I like doing something and try, like, like you said, it, it, they're either going to win great the Grey Cup. They're like I said when they were signing Lucky Whitehead and stuff. I said, I, it feels like the BC Lions are buying the Grey Cup. Which, if America had a CFL team, that's exactly what we would <laughs> buy the Grey Cup. But like, you're, I, I have been, I have been watched the Seahawks for 15 years, and it's like you kind of okay we're back and we're kind of we're maybe it's different this year like at least they're trying something here and it could totally blow up in their face i think you michael o'connor i think has a little bit more experience to 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 be that kind of guiding voice whatever i like having the two canadian thing i think that helps the ratio a lot when you when they're able to interchange um right like you can do the one canadian for the other and not affect the ratio if work goes down I, I feel good about them. I mean, Winnipeg, right? They resigned a bunch. They're, I haven't done like a deep dive. I haven't done all our preseason stuff to kind of figure out where I feel about it. But as a BC Lions fan, I I like them doing anything than the status quo. And I like them doing anything than like the rumor, oh, they're going to bring in Trevor Harris. I'm like, I'm. it's like Carson Wentz. I'm going to bang my face against the wall because I know, I know what that quarterback looks like. And I would rather take this. I don't know what this is. And I might want to bang my face against the wall at the end of the season, but at least right now, I would rather take the the promise than, than, you know, knowing what is coming. Yeah. And if it works and if it doesn't work out, I mean, uh, there was a bold strategy. So sometimes bold strategy time. let's see how it works out for me. Exactly. Yeah. Well said there. Uh, yeah. I, I think they're a team that's going to end up probably on a lot of people's last or fourth place spots in their West division rankings preseason. I imagine just based on the unknowns there, but I think they're a team that could surprise a lot of people with the talent they have there on the board. Uh, any final thoughts on, uh, on the BC Lions before we wrap things up? Uh, I mean, you have to build these new stars, right? Like Jake Mayer, like um, Nathan Rourke. You have to, the CFL has to be able to develop some um, some really homegrown, like that know the game. We had, when the USFL did their draft stuff, we had uh, Naylor on talking. And the big, the, the hardest thing that, that the CFL has is it, it takes you a couple years to really get in right, figure out the game at quarterback. You know, if I'm someone, if I'm coming out of college or if I'm whatever, I can go play in the USFL. I know that game. I'm going to play in the States. I'm going to be able to, you know, pick up the game really quickly and, and start. 
a lot of these guys are going to the CFL. You got to put in your time and put in the grind. So I like having some of these young guys that people seem really invested in. Calgary seems very behind Jake Mayer. BC, very behind Nathan Rourke. And I like that because you need to be able to develop that next string of quarterbacks. And like in three years, you have the leftover, you know, we get another Paxton Lynch up here or whatever. Like you need to be able to have your own guys that you're building. And that's the only way the CFL is going to stand out. Well said, well said. Uh, well, it's been a blast having you here, uh, chatting through everything over the past hour or so. Uh, before I do the final wrap-up of the show, uh, where can people find uh, everything you've got going on with the MarkCast? Anything else? Where can they find you on social media? Uh, plug whatever you want. Uh, yeah, everything's at themarkcast.com. Uh, the, you can follow us at uh, the underscore markcast on Twitter and Facebook. I have a new, uh, there's a new Facebook group I started uh, for the love of football. Uh, I get in a lot of beef with like CFL groups for posting XFL stuff or USFL or XFL for posting CFL stuff. If you're a fan of like anything football like that, you know, we try to limit the NFL stuff, but I'm a big proponent in the, of all these leagues succeeding and they all have their good benefits and there's great conversations to be had with any of them. Uh, so we have that. There's a Twitter community as well for the love of football, but that Facebook group we've got, I just started it this week. We got like 60 people now joining. Oh, They're awesome. trying to build up. I mean, you know, it's, like piddly, piddly twins right now, but trying to build that up because I think there's too much divisiveness between fans of all of these leagues. I see it in America with the XFL and, this, and the USFL and they like they don't want people and the CFL, all this kind of stuff. The people that listen to our show are fans of all the leagues, right? And we'll, we'll dog on the CFL when they need to be dogged on or we'll dog on the USFL or whatever. But uh, I would just check that out in the podcast if, if you want to hear that. And, and I think we bring in enough good guests Um you know, it's mostly me just talking to guests. So if you think I'm annoying, that's fine. I, I tend to bring in a lot of smarter people than I am to talk. So if you think that I'm an idiot, uh, don't worry. The other people on the show are far smarter than I am. Well, we certainly don't think that. Uh, you had some great <laughs> insight here over the past hour. So uh, real pleasure having you here to break it all down. Uh, here on the podcast, uh, other content, uh, Recent episodes you can check out uh, over the weekend. We put three new episodes out with the three newest members of the Canadian Football Countdown team. Trey Colbeck, Brian Lowe, Adam Stewart are all joining us for this coming season. I had a little introduction with each of those, so you can go check that out on our podcast feed. And uh, stay tuned on uh, Thursday. We'll wrap up this, uh, we'll finally wrap up this 2021 deep dive series. Uh, talking all things Saskatchewan Rough Riders with our own new member, Adam Stewart, uh, will join me for that. We'll close that out. You can uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at CF Countdown Pod. Uh, you can find us on Facebook as well, the Canadian Football Countdown there. You can find me on Twitter at Cooper Trooper 42. Make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network at CF Pod Network on Twitter. Uh, also make sure you check out the Markcast. everything Reed's got going on there I definitely recommend it check out the episode with Victor Cooey this Friday right that's when it drops yeah, Friday morning at 7 a.m. Also, yeah, uh, speaking of Saskatchewan, Cody Pedrado, not a fan of the Mark Cast. He has blocked us on all social oh, media. No. I made fun of him for the article came out that he uses chicken nuggets. He says chicken nuggets and not swearing. And I, I, I didn't even tag him in it. I just wrote like a post and somehow he tracked us down and we have been we have been blacklisted from the Rough Riders. And so we are working to get our way back into their hearts as well. So. Uh, come on, Cody Fajardo, give him another chance. Uh, well, uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening on, we appreciate if you do all the fun things like comment, rate, review, subscribe, share the show with your friends, help us grow the show. Always appreciate that. 
And uh, on behalf of uh, our guest of the evening, Reed Johnson, I'm Ryan Coop saying thanks for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.